Shura, Shura number 42, ayah number 7. A'udhu billahi min shaytan rajim, bismillahi rahmani rahim. Wa kathalika wahayna ilayka qur'anan arabiyan litundira umma al-qura wa man hawlaha. وتنذر يوم الجمع لا ريب فيه فريق في الجنة وفريق في السعير الله سبحانه وتعالى discussing how wahi comes to the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم how Allah sends down wahi as he is the supreme the mighty the wise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is the protector, the hafil, the one who is the forgiver, and the one who is the rahim, the one who shows exceptional rahmah. This continuation of that process of wahi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that this we do reveal to you Quran and Arabian, an Arabic Quran where the words are in Arabic, and since they are in Arabic, the primary audience will be the Arabic speaking people. So you have a primary audience, and who are they? So that you may warn the people of the mother city and those who are around the mother city referring to Makkah. Makkah is seen as the mother city, Umm al-Qura. It is the center of civilization according to some of our reports and riwayat. We find that Adam came and then he was instructed to build the Kaaba first and then he built it and he would perform the tawaf around the Kaaba and people uh, would also perform tawaf around the Kaaba. So in that sense it is the mother of all cities where people come and they are attracted to this city and so on. There are other uh, applications of this term, mother of all cities, but they are obviously not verified or authenticated by any sound rewire. So whatever it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls Makkah the mother of all cities. Those who are around them, meaning in the Hijaz, the Yaws in the Taif and Yathrab, uh, which became Medina and parts of Yemen, and all of that area where people were speaking Arabic. Uh, so the Arabic language was chosen for the last and final revelation. And the Prophet, وسلم, since he was from Umm al Qura, the mother of all cities, he spoke the best Arabic. And his primary audience are the Banu Ismail, the children of Ismail that came from Ismail 
and uh, they were initially wanderers from Yemen all the way to Sham, Syria, and then they finally settled in various places. One place was Mina, and the other place later on was Yathrib, where the Osun Khazraj came. They were also Yemeni uh, people. Anyway, so since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down the last revelation and the last recitation, Quran can mean a recitation also, Arabian in Arabic, um, and it becomes obviously a, what do you call it, a proper noun. You know, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted the Prophet to warn his immediate people, the primary audience, the Banu Ismail, and later on in Medina, in the Banu Israel, who also learned, understood, and spoke Arabic because they were there. So the Arabic language was chosen so that the primary audience would receive the message in that language and they would be able to understand the pristine Arabic of Ummul Qura, meaning the Qureshi dialect of the Arabic language. And so that you may also warn the day of gathering that people will be gathered together in which there is no doubt. So the day of a gathering is a day when all human beings will gather together. So this is now talking about the secondary and tertiary audience of the Qur'an. The primary audience, those who speak Arabic, and the secondary audience are those who are also speaking Arabic, like the Banu Israel and others uh, outside of the Hijaz. Um, and then thirdly, those who are annexed onto the secondary audience as recipients of the message of the Qur'an. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yawm al-Jama'ah, the day of gathering all human beings. Okay. So that the Qur'an's message now becomes universal from this ayah. As you must see that the contemporaries of the Prophet are the first audience, primary audience, and then those who come after the Prophet they'll be annexed onto the audience because they will all be resurrected on the day of judgment and that is a link between this and that. There's no doubt whatsoever uh, about the day of gathering, the day when all of human beings will be brought together and so on. When that happens, there will be one group that is in Jannah and there will be another group that will be in the fire. Fariqun fil Jannah wa Fariqun fil Sa'ir. Sa'ir refers to flames and fire. And so, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that what are you warning them of? You're warning them of a separation based on Iman, based on belief in Allah and the Rasul and the Day of Judgment. That's how they will be separated. Okay. They will not be separated based on the knowledge of the Arabic language. They'll be based on the belief in Yawm al-Jama'ah, belief in the day of gathering. Okay. So that's how you appropriate now the logic in the ayah. Okay. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending down his revelation 
that we have revealed, we reveal to you uh, this Qur'an in the Arabic language so that your job is to convey to your primary audience and then your ummah will convey to the secondary and other audience so that the message remains uh, or becomes universal. And then the day when the universe is resurrected and everybody's together on the same platform, the message will be clear that you are separated today, although you are gathered today, You'll, always, you'll also be separated. So there is separation and gathering on the same day. O criminals, you must separate yourselves. Uh, and so on. Well. So here this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a message very clear to the primary and secondary audience that had Allah wanted, he would have made you one ummah, uh, one community, meaning that the Arabic-speaking community is not necessarily one. So you will not measure your community based on the knowledge of Arabic or language or culture or a system of government. Uh, etc. You will find that uh, it is in guidance that you become one uh, community. Yes, the community is either guided or not guided. Those who are guided are one, and those who are not guided are not part of the one. And that is the meaning of this ayah. That as 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 you have this word ummul qura, uh, from the word um you get umma also. Uh, the same etymology, ishtiqaq. So the oneness in human beings comes from the one belief in the oneness of Allah and in the oneness of the message of the prophets and in the oneness of the day of gathering. That's how Allah, had he chosen, he would have made you one ummah. So that, that is how you see that. The Islamic understanding of unity amongst human beings. Unity amongst human beings is based on Iman, not based on mundane ideals and uh, facts and realities and so on. It is based on belief in Allah. So, in that sense, you may call it a theocracy if you want to do it that way. However, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, he allows people to enter into his rahmah, whomever he wants to. So when he chooses someone to receive further rahmah than creating him, then he will give him iman and belief in Allah. So here the word Rahman obviously refers to Islam and so on. Islam and Iman. And then those who are wrongdoers and unjust, they will have no friend, no patron, no protector besides Allah and also no help and no support. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now outlining the message for the Prophet that he is now in Umm al-Qura, he is in Mecca. And he will be traveling 
migrating to Medina, which was predicted by this time. Uh, so this, end, this, this surah is Makki, but it's towards the end of the Makkan revelations, towards the end of the Prophet's life in Makkah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that now your primary job is to first of all uh, refer to the people who are Ummul Qura, the Banu Ismail, especially the Quraysh. And then when you migrate, you'll include the other Banu Israel, the Aus and Khazraj, who were also from the Jurham uh, tribe, and then the Hijazis, and then your Ummah will annex everybody else onto the message, and that is how you'll get now the oneness of your Ummah, the oneness of your community. And then that oneness, Tawheed, will bring about a certain Rahmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who deny and reject that will be the Zalim, will be the unjust person. And unjust people should not be helped and they should not be made allies. Hmm. So your alliance will be only with those who have Iman. Min waliyin, there is no patron, no ally for those who are unjust and wrongdoers. No nasir, there is no helping them in their cause to have a system based on kufr based on disbelief, and so on. So this is how you're going to tie up the campaign of the Prophet ﷺ. is primarily a campaign of deen. If you want to call it religion, that's fine. It's not a campaign of politics. It's not just all politics. More than politics, it's a campaign of deen. That we want to establish the deen. Now, for the deen, you need sovereignty, you need government, you need governance, you need authority, wilaya and all of that. So that comes in into what we call nowadays the rubric of politics and government, etc. But in order for you to govern, uh, as uh, you will have to govern according to the deen, which is now going to be mentioned in the next few ayat and so on. So this is how you get to the oneness of the message and you see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is separating the mu'min, the believer from the dhalim, from the person who is unjust and the person who is a wrongdoer yeah, so these are all now, what do you call it blueprints for the Prophet when he goes to Medina and engages in developing a state, if you want to call it that that it will be based on iman and you will have to adjust to that rea- reality then. And then the same line, in the same vein, you have this ayah, that are they now going to take and make besides him a patron or patrons or alliances and uh, allies, helpers? No. Meaning this alliance is based on Iman, is not based on political order. The political order, if you want to call it that, was the tribalism of the Hijaz, both Mecca and Yathrib, Medina and Taif. They were built on tribalism. Their law was based on tribalism. So the Quran came to replace that and say, now our law is going to be based on Wahi based on the Prophet ﷺ understanding his ishtihad and his application of the deen and the sharia and so on. 
So this is how you should read these ayat. That wahi is from the supreme and the wise, which is mentioned in the third ayah, Allahul Azizul Hakim. The supreme and the wise, he's going to give you revelation. Through that revelation, you're going to enact a supremacy with wisdom, with hikmah, and make one ummah, one community that is now going to be ruled, and it will rule with Allah's might and power, and Allah's hikmah, Allah's wisdom and application, and so on. So, for Allah, Allah is the patient. Allah, He is the patron. He is the one who gives you authority. He is the one who has wilaya over you. And He is the one who's going to give you wilaya, authority over others. Then you don't have to make uh, some kind of a concession for the next statement. And he, he is the one who revives the dead. One, obviously, the first meaning is that he revives the dead on the Day of Judgment, uh, after the grave and so on. But the another meaning, which is more symbolic or perhaps metaphoric, is that he will revive people who don't have iman. Uh, because people who don't have iman are called dead people. In the Quran, a woman can That I will give you a meaning of how to contextualize this meaning. So wahi contextualizes wahi. So reviving the dead refers to now eliminating kufr from the minds and hearts of people, reviving them with iman, with faith, and belief in Allah. That is how Allah is now going to revive the pagans and the people of the Ummul Qura and the people of Yathrib and Medina and then they will now become part of your wilaya and they will now help you in uh, supporting, sustaining, executing the deen of Allah as he is He is capable of doing anything. He is over all things powerful Mm. He is powerful over all things. So this is how the Quran is now uh, giving the Prophet ﷺ reassurances as well as glad tidings. Okay, When somebody is now facing persecution on a daily basis and someone is facing eviction and what they call it, being sent into exile on a daily basis, and the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba were in the latter part of Makkah, every day was a test. Every day they were waiting for something to happen, and uh, the uh, you know the permission to make hijrah wasn't given uh, until later. But they're in this mindset you know, that they don't know the future. When you don't know the future and you are marginalized by your own community, uh, then what do these ayat mean? to you in that context, in the context of the timeline in Sirah, there's a latter-day Makkan, Makkan Surah. What does this mean to the Prophet when he's listening to this, hearing this, uh, that for Allah Allah is the one who has absolute total authority, he is your patron, he is your ally, uh, he is the one who's close to you, etc. And he's the one who revives the dead in I don't see any revival here. They all disbelieve in me. They're refuting me. Uh, they're persecuting me. They want me. They want to send me into exile. 
and then Allah is capable of doing everything at, at any time, and so on. So these are ayat that reassure the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, and it propels them into thinking about a much better future. There's a positive uh, application of these ayat psychologically and morally that the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, uh, they entertain this and they go with it and they don't lose hope so they don't see themselves as being cornered otherwise they can easily be cornered or feel that way yeah, and then lose hope and then don't have anything left uh, in their uh, what do you call it a portfolio to bring to the table and they lose patience and all of them so this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring the Prophet so the things will happen they're not happening yet. But for the Sahaba, it was like uh, waiting in suspense for eternity. You have to contextualize it to how the Sahaba and the Prophet ﷺ read this ayah and saw this ayah. Oh, what is Allah saying? So they could have been skeptical about the whole thing. But they were not. They were steadfast. They had sabr and so on. وَمَا اخْتَلَفْتُمْ فِيهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَحُكْمُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ ذَلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبِّيهِ عَلَيْهِ تَبَكَّلْتُ وَإِلَيْهِ أُنِيبٍ Whatever difference you have in anything, then its order and its judgment, its verdict is with Allah. Whatever difference of opinion you have, either in government, governance, and tribalism, in social ideas and ideals, or in ways to worship, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, etc., ways to think about the cosmos and the oneness of Allah and following the Prophet and all of these forms of ikhtilaf. These are basically ikhtilaf or differences at a micro level. Not necessarily the micro, at a macro level, not a micro level. Meaning what are the principles of life Okay, what is a religion? What is your religion? How do I worship? And how do you worship? And what are my values, moral, universal values for human beings? And what is the social order that we must now represent or execute? These are macro forms of differences in the mundane sense and also in the religious sense. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the Prophet that you will be given other forms of government and governance and other forms of sharia and so on and then you will have to trust Allah. The verdict will be Allah's verdict. This is the right way and this is the wrong way. That for you people listening to the Quran is Allah my Lord. Allahu Rabbi, as you see, the sequence of wording here is very important. Thalikum, the ishara is to you, who are you, kum, all of you, listening to me, listening to the Qur'an, all of you. You must understand, appreciate that this is now Allah who's speaking. And who is Allah? Rabbi, he is my Lord, he is the one who raises me. He's the one who guides me. He's the one who takes care of me. He's the one who does everything for me. 
in phases, in stages, and gradually. So this is how I see Allah taking me, taking me from one phase into another phase. After I complete one phase, I'm now going to move into another phase, and I step. I finish one step, and I take another step. This Rabbi, my Lord, one thing after another. So there's a, a process in Allah's hukum coming down. For hukmu Allah, that Allah is, is now the judge, and the, Allah, the verdict is Allah's. So now you have what we call the takwini nidam, the, the system in the cone, in the cosmos, and now you have the tashri'i nidam, the system in sharia. So Allah is now bringing those together to the Prophet just as night becomes day and day becomes night. There's ikhtilaf there. See the ikhtilaf in seasons, the ikhtilaf in uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, they all move and so on. But that's over time and in time. You cannot expedite that process. And say, why can't I have the sun now rise early today because I have some more work to do? Can you allow the sun to come up half an hour early today? Or can you let the sun set half an hour later today? That ikhtilaf is regulated. The alternating of the day and night and the seasons is regulated by a system, a nidam, a system. That system is the queen, it's in the cosmos. That's how the universe works. You can't delay that, nor can you expedite it. Likewise, when Allah's hukum comes to you, O Muhammad, there's going to be a process. You can't delay it, nor can you expedite it. So you can't be hasty in saying that no one's believing, number one. Number two, that uh, how am I going to implement the sharia when the hukum of Allah does come? Why? That, all of you, is Allah. He's my Rabb. He's training me to understand the process by which I'm going to implement and execute the sharia and the sharia law. And it will not be overnight. It's not an event. It is not an event. And that is key and critical to understanding the Madani phase of the Prophet's now Sharia. That in the Madani phase, there were now, what we, a lack of a better word, what we would call today trial and error. But there was no error. There were phases of development, and there's a graduality. And that tashri, that process of legislation, now was perfected at the end of the Prophet's life in Medina, not in the beginning of his life in Medina. Very critical for our legal theory. That's why you cannot take something that happened in early Medina and say that is Sharia. That's why I say that the Sharia, the Seerah, follows the Sunnah. The Sunnah does not follow the Seerah. And that is Abu Hanifa's greatest now legal theory that the last practice of the Prophet in Medina is the Sunnah. Whatever happened before the last one, that is Mansukh. 
is abrogated or changed or reformed or refined or uh, amended or rescinded, whatever you, you want to call it. Okay? So if in uh, uh, the beginning the, uh, the purpose of now prohibiting wine uh, was uh, fresh uh, in the minds of the Sahaba that they would drink, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an ayah that when you are going towards Salat, then you should not go towards Salat when you are intoxicated. Allah didn't say, don't drink. He said, don't go to Salat when you're intoxicated. Right. Then he sent another ayah that there is sin and there are benefits in drinking and gambling. Then at the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an ayah, okay now. Stay away from it. Meaning, when you say the فَحُكْمُهُ in Allah, whatever ikhtilaf you have, whatever differences you have, then you, O Muhammad Sallallahu in your mind must understand that there is ikhtilaf in the cone, in the cosmos, in the fikhtilafi layli wa nahar that in the ikhtilaf, in the differences, in the alternating, the changing of the day and night, night and day, and so on, there, there, there's now a lot of signs for those who have understanding, and so on. So now, that process is now being implemented in the process of legislation in Medina for the Prophet This is going to take time. You can't uproot certain things and values instantaneously in order to develop a order of government and governance and administration, um, meaning in your prototype community, the community of the Sahaba. So many forms, or several forms of ahkam were implemented gradually. Even in the method of salat, there was a gradual implementation of what we call sukoon, according to the Hanafis at least, sukoon. That initially you could have something in your mouth while you were in salat and finish eating. Initially you could ask the person who is in the jamaat, Hamidur Rakas, has the imam done and you would be able to point and say this. Initially, you would be able to say salam. Then gradually, all of that was refined. Until the last act was that there is now a total sukoon in motion in salat that you cannot do anything that is against the motion of salat in salat. Uh, that's how you get your legal theory. How, which part of the seerah do you make the sunnah? So this is now for hukmuhu illallah is now based on وَمَخْتَلَفْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ that they go together وَمَخْتَلَفْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ that's the mubtada فَحُكْمُ إِلَى اللَّهِ that's the khabar they have to obviously come together in the khabar that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given and so on اللَّهُ رَبِّي Allah is my Rabb so the key word is Rabb تَرْبِيَةِ رُبُوبِيَةِ and so on how does Allah do this? He does this gradually so that it's easy for you, it's easy for the Sahaba to understand that this is how you're going to now do this methodically and gradually. And then at the end, Alihi Tawakkaltu, it is only upon him that I put my trust. In him I put my trust. 
<coughs> and it is only to him that I turn. Inaba. Yeah, Inaba. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that your legal theory must resemble in some way, shape, or form the system of the cosmos in terms of its execution. Uh, in terms of its implementation and then execution. Once you have determined this is the hukum of Allah, then there's no going back. Then that hukum is for every Muslim uh, until time expires. Hmm? Yeah. Then there's no need for that except perhaps in certain cases where you might have some d- dispensation to allow uh, people to go through rehabilitation if, if that's necessary. But that's a different issue altogether. No. So here we see the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, first of all, these are all ayat that the Prophet is listening to in Makkah. This is all Makki, it's a Makki surah. This is all in Makkah. He hasn't migrated to Medina yet. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing the mindset and the psyche of the Prophet that when he goes to Medina, this is what's going to happen. Well, yeah. You see how Allah prepares the mind of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. is a confirmation of what I just said. This ayah has plenty to offer in so many different ways. But anyway, Allah is the originator of the heavens and the earth. Ibrahim and the one who now I turn my face to the one who has created the heavens and the earth originally without any blueprint, without any prototype. That he brings out the heavens and the earth from non existence into existence, and he does this through a method, a procedure that he didn't do this instantaneously overnight. There were now four periods, or six periods, six days, four and two for the heavens and the earth together. And that is uh, obviously a guide for us that when he is the originator of the heavens and the earth, he could have said kun and it would have become instantaneously, but it didn't. There was a period in which all of that developed. That is how you link it to the hukmuhu. Uh, in the previous, uh, so the Prophet is now uh, being told that this is how Allah creates. In that process of fitrah, uh, where the original uh, prototype blueprint, uh, what do you call it, of every species, uh, Allah has created. What has He done for you? He has made from you. <coughs> Your spouses, your mates, and azwaj, yeah, in terms of your uh, being uh, together. So he has made this from you that you will need compatibility in order to live as two human beings. Yeah, so there the nature and the compatibility and the culture. Uh, the language, the food, the dress, etc., how they have to be all compatible in order for you to live at least a good life 
inshallah. That's azwaj, so meaning that the purpose of living uh, together is to enjoy and to gain sukun. Likewise, you're going to have to make the psyche compatible with the hukum of Allah. The psyche of the first prototype Muslim community. They are the key. The key is the community of the Sahaba. They're the key to how you do this and how you are going to make them the role models for other communities later. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that Allah has created species originally and he has laid down the original nature of every species and everything that comes after the original species follows that species, that prototype. Yeah, so the members of that species will follow the original blueprint of the species. It will not deviate unless there's a distortion and a corruption known as something that goes against the fitrah and so on. Likewise, the original prototype community for the implementation of Sharia and Deen is the Sahaba. And that's the original blueprint. Every other community that comes after the Sahaba will need to follow that prototype. And that's how you get the Azwaj. The idea of Azwaj in Sharia means that you follow the prototype community of the Sahaba in terms of your understanding, implementation, execution of Allah's hukum. Even more than that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created from cattle, likewise, mates and spouses, that they will follow each other in their uh, natural blueprint. They won't deviate, say, so you can't do anything. Goats are going to be different from camels, and camels are different from uh, the cattle, cows, and so on. They're all very different. But at the same time, within their own species, they can find something that is now exactly the same or similar and resemble them. And then what he does is that he multiplies you. So from that one a prototype, there are going to be several more individuals of that species. Hundreds and thousands and millions and billions from the same prototype. Uh, this is how Allah subhanahu is saying to the Prophet Thus, in terms of multiplicity, get in kathra, multiplicity from one. Uh, so you have one, and from one you get so many. So now Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in the matter of Tawheed and Aqeedah into the ayah. He is not similar to anything. You can't have a, an individual that follows the prototype of Allah. Allah is alone and unique and he stands alone and unique. No one can be reproduced according to Allah's hmm, prototype, if there is one, or blueprint. So this is how you connect the first part of the ayah to the second, that there is nothing that is anything like him. He doesn't need to have a prototype. He doesn't need to have a blueprint. He is who he is. And since he is who he is, there's nothing that can be compared 
nor can anything be contrasted against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He stands and remains and exists alone without any parallel, without any comparison, without any contrast, and without any equal. All of that. So this is how you get the Tawheed into the equation. Now, Allah's creation, that, that can multiply. Allah himself, he doesn't multiply. Yeah. At the same time, he has all of these attributes, even though he is alone and uh, he stands alone, he exists alone, uh, he is the one who has these qualities and these attributes, uh, that of uh, hearing and the attribute of, of seeing. Hmm? Yeah. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now he knows, he hears, he sees. And because of his knowledge and because of his hearing, because of his seeing, he is able to send down wahi to you so that you may organize these people, meaning the people of Hijaz, the primary audience, to become one ummah. So the, the theme of the ayat is that saying that wahi comes to one, that one human being becomes a prototype and that prototype human beings develops a prototype community and society, which is an ummah, and then subsequent communities will follow that one prototype community and that one prototype messenger. And that is the Prophet, known as the Sahaba, and the Prophet, this is how you get wahi coming down from Al Aziz Al Hakim, the Supreme, the Mighty, and the Wise. So, this is how. You are going to bring down these ayat to the level of implementation, execution, legislation, and your legal theory, and so on. So in order for you to appreciate how there is nothing like Allah, then you must also appreciate that Allah has names and attributes like seeing and hearing. And because of those attributes, or with those attributes, He is now going to help you implement and execute Allah's hukum through wahi. So wahi is what gives you wilaya authority. And when you have wilaya authority, you will now execute this hukum of Allah uh, in terms of sharia. That's what's called sharia. And that sharia, obviously, is going to be based on shura, which is the name of the surah, which will be mentioned later on in the surah. So you can see the coherency and the consistency with how all of these ayat, when you read them together collectively, they flow. So the idea is that you have to read the whole surah as one and see how all the pieces fit together. Uh, that you can do when you have a big picture, when you have the macro. So these micro details will fit into the macro picture, and then when you do that, then you understand that this is the way you're going to Inshallah, see and hear Allah's hukum. As we know, we can see, we can hear in our very limited abilities, and we are nowhere near, nowhere like Allah. But despite that, we can actually implement and execute the hukum of Allah that comes through wahi. This is the idea of wahi, which is the theme of these first 20 ayahs or so. So inshallah we'll continue this discussion next time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to understand the Quran and allow us to 
implement what Allah wants us to implement with ease and comfort. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khilq, Muhammadin wa alayhi wa sahabihi wa sallam. Bi rahmati, bi rahmati, bi rahmati.